Well, Tim hit the nail on the head. God reached down to us, didn't he? We're going to be talking about that this morning. Wonderful time of worship. One of the more popular songs in the early 90s was a song by R.E.M. entitled Losing My Religion. Let me play a little bit for you. just looking for a reason to play REM on a Sunday morning. <laughs> no, it does have something to do with the, with the sermon today. Uh, I, I later learned that that song really has nothing to do with religion. It's about unreciprocated love and, and obsession. And, and that phrase, losing my religion, is taken from a southern phrase that, uh, it, it's a southern phrase that means to be at your wit's end. Anybody ever use that or know that? I didn't know that before. But uh, whether you take it literally or figuratively, losing religion sounds bad, doesn't it? I mean, let's be honest. Abandoning religion sounds like a bad thing. But what we're going to learn this morning is that although it's often used in a negative sense, losing religion is not a bad thing. Now, I can already tell that some of you may be getting a little squirmish at the title, and uh, so let me explain what I mean when I talk about religion. When I'm talking about religion this morning, what I'm talking about is man's attempt to reach God through personal effort or devotion. Okay? That's what I'm talking about this morning when I talk about religion. We, we are continuing our study this morning through the book of Philippians. In our passage for today, we are going to learn, and you learn in other parts of Scripture as well, that Paul's biggest opponents were the religious and their religions. So in our text for today, what Paul is going to challenge us to do in light of this is he is going to challenge us to lose religion and choose a relationship. So this morning we're going to talk about how to experience joy by losing religion. We're in Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 through 8 this morning. Here's the first principle to experiencing joy by, by losing religion. Number one, rejoice in what the Lord has done. Rejoice in what the Lord has done. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, when Paul says finally here, it doesn't mean he's wrapping up. He's like a preacher in that way. Son was sitting with his dad in, in service one Sunday, and he looked to his dad and he said, Dad, what is a, what is a 
pastor mean when he says finally? And his dad never missed a beat and looked at his son and said, absolutely nothing. Sometimes that's the case, right? And Paul is, is like a preacher in that way. He's not concluding his message. He's just getting geared up when he says finally. So this is more of a word of transition. So we can translate that, so then, or going forward. And then Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Here Paul is preparing the Christians at Philippi. What he's about to talk about is he, he's about to prepare them for the false teachers who are going to come. And so to prepare for this false teaching, Paul begins this chapter by saying, rejoice in the Lord. That phrase, is, that, that phrase shows a fundamental and foundational difference between Christianity and all other religions. With religion, once again, meaning here, man's attempt to reach God through personal effort and devotion, there is very little of this. There's a whole lot of this. There's very little rejoicing in what the Lord has done, and there's a whole lot of rejoicing in self-effort. In this passage, Paul is dealing with a religious group known as the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were a religious group who would often go around from place to place where Paul had been, and they would go after in after Paul, and they would criticize his message of salvation by grace through faith alone. And they would counter that with, with the teaching that. They would teach, you know, Jesus, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's significant, but he's not sufficient. Jesus is, you need Jesus, but you also need these other things as well. They taught that for one to be saved, they, one had to be circumcised. They had to abide by Jewish dietary laws along with many other work requirements. And what what we'll learn from about the Judaizers as well is because they had all of these requirements, things you do to be made right with God, they were a very proud people. They wore their accomplishments proud. There was very little boasting in the Lord and a whole lot of boasting and self-effort with them. And Paul, to prepare the Christians at Philippi for this teaching, he said... You guys rejoice in the Lord. Glory in the Lord. Boast only in the Lord. The fundamental and foundational difference between Christianity and all other systems of belief is that while religion is man's attempt to reach God through personal effort and devotion, Christianity is God reaching down to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. While, while religion is man-made and works-based, Christianity is God-made and grace-based. And Paul says, this is, the true, this, is your, this is the true faith. Fix your eyes on this. Fix your eyes on the work that God has done in saving you. And in response, give praise only to Him. Now let's be honest. This at times is tough for us, isn't it? It's tough for us as a people because we like the praise, don't we? We like to be in on it. We want to be praised. Praise me. If someone, if you do something and someone else gets credit for it, you may not come right out and say, uh-uh, I did that. But you may find subtle ways to kind of let people know you did it, right? 
Because we want the praise. We want to be in on the praise. Praise us. It's our mentality. Which is why it's no surprise that, that religions, man-made religions, are works-based. Because whenever, whatever it is, especially when it comes to spirituality, people like to think they have played a part in it. When it comes to salvation, they like to think, I've done something to earn it, and in return want to be praised for it. They have what I like to call the, the Home Depot mentality. Home Depot, Lowe's, wherever you go. These places are set up to, uh, to help people take care of things themselves. Instead of going to the plumber, calling a plumber, you do it yourself. Or an electrician, you, you, you do it yourself. These places have made it their business to, uh, uh, of teaching people how to fix things themselves. And many people think in this way when it comes to religion. They want to be their own boss, the captain of their own faith, and want praise for the state of things in their life spiritually. We need to be on guard against this type of reasoning because I, one thing I think Satan wants more than anything is not less religion. He wants more of it. Bring it on. He wants more people operating independently from God, trying to reach them, trying to reach Him by their own effort and personal devotion. He wants more people, instead of placing their, their faith in Christ alone for salvation, He wants more people boasting in their own efforts and not directing their praise toward Him and trusting in themselves. He wants more religion. Paul says, reject religion and rejoice in the Lord. Reject this kind of religion and rejoice in the Lord. Number two, you want to experience joy by losing religion? You have to resist the influence of false teachers. Resist the influence of false teachers. Paul says this, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Now this is very strong language that Paul is using here, isn't it? He calls the Judaizers dogs and evildoers. Now, in our day, calling someone a dog is that's fighting words, isn't it? It's not a good thing. But in that day, it was even worse. Because unlike the pets we own today, dogs in the first century were despised animals. They, uh, they, they were not pets. They were wild scavengers. And they would go around from place to place, plague on, uh, they, were, they plagued cities, roamed in packs, fed on garbage, and at times they, they attacked people. Now, why does Paul use this term uh, to, when, when he's talking about the Judaizers? Because he viewed them in the same way. He viewed them as kind of like scavengers. Like when Paul was in ministering in an area, they were just kind of waiting until Paul went out, and then they swarmed in and they preyed on, on the, the, uh, the spiritually weak-minded and those who were not theologically grounded. So Paul calls them dogs. In Galatians... Paul is also dealing with the influence of Judaizers and mentions the fact at the very beginning of the book how astonished he is at how quickly the Judaizers have come in and made a mess of his ministry, turning many away from the gospel of grace to embrace a, a, a gospel of, or, or a, a, a religion of works that does not save. Paul also calls them evildoers which is a word that shows the exact opposite of what Paul and, and other followers of Christ were doing. While they were promoting 
and, uh, and advancing the purposes of God. He says that these groups were evildoers and that they were polluting and perverting this work. Now, if you and I saw these people today, the Judaizers, we might think Paul's being a little harsh, you know? We might not think as bad about these people. We might see them as, well, you know, they may be a little off, but they're just, you know, they're just trying to obey God. They're trying to get other people to obey God and his, and his rules and his laws. And we might see them as kind of morally, you know, just upright people. Why is Paul being so harsh? Why is Paul so harsh to these group of people? Because he wants his readers to realize that their message is toxic. They might seem friendly and confident with, with, with what they're teaching and that their way is right, but Paul says their message leads to death, not life. Which is why he says, watch out. Look out. Paul is trying to, to let his readers know this group is trying to get you to embrace a message and, and, a, and a belief system that does not save. They're throwing you a life raft with a hole in it. They're giving you poison and saying it's the cure. Their message is toxic. Let me warn you today, this is exactly what many religions and cults are doing today. There's a lot of door-to-door deception that's taking place. And though it's done with a smile... Though it's done with a smile and, and, and they seem like morally upright people and though they're appealing to families, let me assure you their message is toxic because it does not save. And they often will, will prey on those who, like the Judaizers, they'll prey on those who are not grounded in the Scriptures, those who, who's, who are weak in the faith and those who are not theologically grounded. Christ warned us of these people, didn't he? Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You know what? You, you not only see this deception taking place in obvious ways through those in shirts and ties on bicycles, but also in more subtle ways in our society, through what we read, what we watch on TV, and, and what we watch in the movies. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, don't, don't think that I'm an anti-TV guy. I'm not. I watch as much TV as the, as the rest of you. But I do want to warn you, we need to be careful what we let influence the way we view the world. Just because something makes Oprah's book list, doesn't mean we should read and apply it to our lives, does it? We should also just not teach something or hold strongly to something just because Judge Judy or Dr. Phil says it. Parents, we have to be on guard. Not just, against, not, not just uh, uh, with the content of the shows that our kids are watching, but with the message being taught. Do you know I've seen some things that are, that are kid-appropriate on educational shows that could be as damaging to the kids as, as if they watched MTV all day long because of the message being taught. 
me give you an example. I was in Target the other day, and I came across a book in the children's section of the bookstore, and it looked like a Christian book. So I picked it up and began to look through it. And, and in the middle of the book, it showed that, it, it said this, it said, what God wants our children to know is that it doesn't matter how we pray, we're all praying and communicating to the same God. And it showed Muslims bowing down, it showed Buddhists, it showed other religions. Basically, this book is teaching that there are many religious roads that lead to God. In a, in a children's section of, of a bookstore, a book section in Target. We have to be on guard against these kind of things. There are many who take issue with, with us as parents indoctrinating our children and, and training them. It, you know, they just say, what? Just, just let kids come to beliefs on their own. Trust me when I say this. If you don't instruct your children in righteousness, they will be instructed in some other way. One of uh, the movies that uh, Ava enjoys watching, she has me play over and over again, is the movie Thumbelina. And uh, <clears throat> I was listening to one of the lyrics of the song uh, the other day, one because I was looking for a sermon illustration on this point, but I was listening to a song, and, and there's one song in the, in the movie called Follow Your Heart. And listen to the lyrics of this song. It says... North or south, east or west, where to point your shoes? Which direction is best? If the choosing gets confusing, maybe it's the map you're using. You don't need a chart to guide you. Close your eyes and look inside you. You're sure to do impossible things if you know where to start. Your dreams will fly on magical wings when you follow your heart. Now, I know that's just a silly song from a silly movie. But you notice the message that's being taught goes against the scriptures? You don't need a chart to guide you. Close your eyes and look inside you. What does Proverbs 14, 12 say? There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, leads to death. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It also teaches, you know, Scripture teaches, it's clear that that we do need a chart to guide us, don't we? And that chart is the Word of God. And these messages, though they're subtle, over time, as they build up, they influence. Parents, we're in a battle. And there are so many competing doctrines out there. We have to train our kids up in the Word of God. Paul says we have to be on guard against these things. We have to be on guard against the dogs and the evil workers. And and what he means is we have to be on the lookout for messages and, and messengers who lead us away from God and who pervert his purposes. And you know the only way we can do that? The best way to do that is by, by becoming students of the Word of God. What you're going to find is the more you you devote yourselves to studying the Word of God and the more you place yourself under preachers and teachers who, who preach and teach from the Word of God and the more you attend classes on how to read and understand the Word of God, you know what's going to happen? The more you're going to be able to detect and guard against falsehood. When I was in youth ministry, I, I often had 
parents that would, they were all, always telling me about different things, you know. Hey, look out for this book. Tell them not to read that. Tell them not to watch this show. Tell them not to watch this movie. This is bad because of this message, this, this, and that. And I thought, I had to tell them, I can't do that. There's no possible way that I can, I can detect every, every competing doctrine and guard them against it. But I said, the one thing I can do is this. What I can do is teach them how to read and understand the Bible for themselves so they'll be able to discern these things on their own. So let me challenge you today. Become students of the Word of God so you can effectively resist the influence of false teachers. Number three, reject false views of salvation. Paul says this, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What in the world is he talking about? Like we said earlier, the, the, the Jews taught that, that keeping the law of Moses was necessary for salvation and that circumcision was still a distinguishing mark of God's people. Therefore, they believed for one to be a Christian, they had to be circumcised. And so closely did they identify with this that the Jews actually referred to themselves as the circumcision. I don't know if I'd want that association with me, but that's what they did. We're the circumcised. And they, they referred to all the, the Gentiles and all the non-Jewish uh, people as the uncircumcised or the uncircumcision. That's how closely they followed, uh, they, they, they identified with this mark. Now, for us to understand Paul's point, it's... it's it, it's imperative that we understand um, the purpose of circumcision in the Old Testament. Being circumcised in the Old Testament was a, was a symbol. This practice symbolized a need to be cleansed from sin because in the procreative act, sin is passed from one generation to another. So the purpose of circumcision was to symbolize a need to be cleansed from sin. It was meant just to be an outward picture of what was to be an inward reality. Now sadly, however, in Paul's day, circumcision had become an outward empty ritual and was thought to be a means of salvation and it lost its spiritual significance. Kind of like baptism today in, in some circles. During Christ's earthly ministry, he issued a new covenant sign, which is baptism. And, and baptism, like circumcision, is meant to just be an outward picture of an inward reality. But unfortunately, many have taken this practice of baptism today and say that by it, we're saved. Which is to make the same mistake that the Judaizers made about circumcision. Neither are meant to be a means of salvation. Just a symbol or a picture, kind of like this ring. I take this ring off, I'm still married, right? If I put it on, just because I wear it doesn't make me married. Just because I take it off doesn't make me not married. It's just a symbol. And just how it would be foolish for me to think that just by wearing the ring makes me married in the same way. It's foolish to think that by circumcision or baptism, one becomes a child of God. Paul even refuses to give what the Judaizers are doing a biblical name, 
which is why he calls them mutilators of the flesh. Because he's saying, what you're doing is simply a, a procedure with no spiritual value. Because what you are on the outside is not, does not reflect what you are inwardly. And that's the problem with the religion, isn't it? It's simply an outward act. It's empty practice and ritual that doesn't reflect what's true inwardly. Paul goes on to say, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. After, after criticizing their empty practice, you know what Paul says? Hey, we're the circumcision. Meaning, we're the true people of God. What's true of you outwardly is true of us inwardly. And then he gives the reasons why. Because we're indwelt with the very Spirit of God. By our faith in Christ, God is, has come and He has set up residence in our heart and life. And this is only made possible by God. It's a work of God and made possible through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And in response, we boast only in Him and have no confidence in our own works. You know, we like to think our works count for something, don't we? Especially when it comes to to salvation. We, we, many like to think that they have something to offer, something to bring to the table when it comes to salvation. But scriptures clearly teach that we don't. Our best is not even close to being good enough. In fact, they're referred to as filthy rags to God. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, plus nothing, minus nothing. We don't play a part whatsoever in our salvation. And, and only through our faith in Christ are we saved. It is undeserved, not of works. If there is any other way for you to be saved through your merit, through ignorance, whatever, Christ would not have to come. He would not have had to leave the riches of heaven empty himself by taking on flesh and dwelling among us. And, and, and he would not have had to be obedient to the point of death on a cross. But he was sent by the Father. And he willingly obeyed because he is our only hope and our only way to be made right with God. So reject these false views of salvation and place your faith in Christ. Fourth and finally, To experience joy by losing a religion, we have to rid ourselves of our religious resume. Rid yourself of your religious resume. Paul goes on to say this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. If anyone had a reason to boast like these Judaizers were boasting, it was Paul. Listen to these credentials again. He was what was called an eighth day one, which meant that Paul was circumcised by the book. 
according to Jewish law. Now, many of the Judaizers couldn't say this because some of them were Gentile converts. But Paul said, I was circumcised by the book. He was also from the nation of Israel. Once again, many of them couldn't say this. By birth, he was a member of God's chosen people, a physical descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was also of the tribe of Benjamin. Even more of the Judaizers couldn't say this. The tribe of Benjamin was one of the most prominent tribes of the Jewish people. Remember that Benjamin was was the younger of the two sons to Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. King Saul, in fact, who was chosen king because of his impressive credentials, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul was from this tribe. He said, I was a Hebrew, I'm a, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, which meant that Paul remained close to his roots. He was committed to the language, Orthodox and Jewish traditions, and he kept the customs of his ancestors. As to the law, Paul was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were a group that, that were supremely devoted to the law, and Paul at one time was a part of this group. He said, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. In the first century, the, the, the Jewish men, they measured their commitment to God by, by opposing foreign religion and rule. Paul said, I've gone to extremes you guys haven't gone to. I've persecuted Christianity. I tried to rid the world of it. I was zealous for the Jewish cause. He says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, when Paul's looking back at his life, he's not saying, looking back, I was perfect, but he's saying this, according to the outward performance of Judaism, I had a perfect record. In other words, when it came to being Jewish, Paul was the man. His religious resume was as impressive to the Jewish people as Bill Gates would be in the corporate world. He was the man. And understanding that makes what he says next so significant. Listen to this. But whatever gain I had, I, count, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. After showing that his credentials far surpassed that of the Judaizers, Paul does something very significant here. He says, all of those gains that I once listed out like you do separately and that I once took pride in, I now consider loss. They were just trophies in a case. Over my years playing sports, I, I accumulated some trophies and some ribbons, and I used to line them up in my room. You know, I had them on the dresser so that when people came in, I could kind of show them off a little bit, show the stuff that I had done, which really wasn't that much. But now you know where those trophies and ribbons are? They're in an attic somewhere collecting dust. What can those trophies do for me now? Could you imagine if I went into a job interview and they were like, tell me about yourself. What, you know, tell, tell me what qualifies you for this job. And I pulled out like a blue ribbon. Well, I did this. When I was in high school, what do you think? They would not do anything for me, would they? And that's the way Paul 
looks at his accomplishments here. All of those successes no longer mattered to Paul after coming to Christ. Because Paul knew that none of them could do anything for him when it came to eternity. His best was not good enough. His hard work earned him nothing. Here he basically, he just takes that impressive religious resume and just runs it through the shredder. Wow. Though the Judaizers had their rituals and rules, you know what? Paul had a relationship with the risen Lord. And that far surpassed any man-made achievement. God had given Paul through the person and work of Christ what, what truly mattered the most and what Paul couldn't earn on his own. Wrapping up, let me say this. Like we've said already, there are some obvious places that people look to find joy. And you know what? Religion is one of those obvious places. And when I talk about religion, I'm not just talking about Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, Islam. What I'm talking about is, when I say religion is, I'm talking about any attempt to reach God and find enjoyment in this life apart from Christ. There are many, maybe some here in this room, who are on that path. Maybe you're here this morning, and you think you're good with God just because you grew up in the church and never left. Or maybe you think you're on good terms with God because you, you uphold the, the traditions of Christianity. You come to church on Sunday morning, you go to small group, you take part in food and fellowships. Maybe you think you're right with God because you're giving it your best. Let me tell you this morning, that's religion. And religion does not save. During his earthly ministry, Christ challenge religion as well. There were some in, in his day who believed that, and taught that, that by keeping the, the Scriptures, one could earn salvation by teaching what was taught in the Scriptures. And listen to what Christ says in, in John five thirty nine. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but they bear witness of me. The scriptures do not call for a need of religion, but the need of a Savior. Jesus came to offer what religion could not. Forgiveness of sins, a right standing with God, a personal relationship with Him, acceptance into His kingdom, and the guarantee of eternal life in His presence. Let me challenge you this morning, if you've not. Lose religion. Choose a relationship with Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you. For doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that is trying to be made right with you through personal effort, that this morning they would abandon that pursuit. They would lose religion and that they would trust in you, Lord Jesus, alone for salvation. 
pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.